my love. I am so happy and so pleased to announce that this episode is brought to you by my very own company, Savage Chocolates, which is all about cultivating a more loving relationship to your body and to food. You know, we don't really believe in guilty pleasure. We just believe in pleasure done well. Right? Have you ever had that uh, candy bar or a thing of ice cream and you eat it and you're like, wait, I don't, I don't remember eating that. <laughs> wait, where'd that go? <laughs> well, that's why I created Savage Chocolates because I know the importance of pleasure. And I think that we don't slow down enough to actually experience it. And so... If you are wanting to eat mindfully, if you are wanting to be reminded of how to actually experience your pleasure, then please go to www.savagelosangeles.com to order your goods. All right, you guys, let's get to it. My beautiful mom, Lori Lee Louise. Moser Silvaggio is on the podcast today, and this is really our first candid COVID conversation. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, but, I feel like we've had candid COVID conversations, but the first recorded one. Absolutely. And, you know, it's no miracle because this is certainly not a long period of time that we have these opportunities. That's true. Yeah, I was listening to... Um, One of my favorite teachers, Danielle Laporte, when I was driving back up here, a podcast of hers, and she was discussing how if you told everybody a year ago, you're going to get a few months off, you're going to be able to stay home, do yoga, have the conversations that you need to have, do all the things, everyone would have been like, oh my God, that sounds incredible. Like, whoa, what a good idea. Yeah. That's absurd. Nothing that wonderful could ever happen. Could ever happen. Exactly. And while, of course, I recognize the tragedy that this event is, um, and I know that it's impacting everybody um, in different ways, and I want to just say I recognize that, but it is it is ironic. It is ironic, and if you're one of the fortunate people in that category of not facing survival <laughs> fears yeah. daily, yeah, um, that there's a sense of security about living space and food, um, and if you're one of those very, very fortunate ones then I guess you have to see that as good fortune. Then. For sure. Well, but I think also on so many levels, you know, this is really allowing all of us to look at our own relationship to this life experience, what we want out of it, um, who we want to become after this is over and facing things like our own mortality and facing things like uh, whether or not we're compromised in any way, shape or form, but just looking at that as, Oh yeah. Wow. This, this affects everybody, including me. You know, it was kind of one of those things at the beginning when this all came to the forefront where it was like, Oh, it only impacts these people. You know, this one group of, uh, you know, elderly people or only men or only smokers or whatever. And then it kind of unfolded into it being more of a contemplative experience, I think, for everybody. So there's that. I just want to introduce you to everyone. Can you talk to us all, my savage sweethearts, about who you are, about what you do, about what do you love Wow. Um, 
I am a 71-year-old woman Yes, who, um, <clears throat> frankly, sees her legacy at this point uh, significantly being my children. Um, I'm in this contemplative time in my life where I am actually given this privilege of standing back and saying, wow, what was the learning there as best I can identify it? Yeah. And wow, was it a good thing? <laughs> Did I really get anywhere? Uh, am I still standing in unfinished business? Yeah. Um, what really meant anything, everything? Yeah. Um, the joy of my life was that I did have a career. As a woman born in 1948, there were careers, certainly, and many had esteemed ones, but they were less than these days. Yeah. And um, there also were very prescribed careers, namely secretary or teacher. Yeah. And I, by nature, am a teacher, so I have great appreciation. But as far as entrepreneurialism or any really significant stuff um, that came outside the lines of what was prescribed. Uh, it was kind of unheard of. Yeah. And I'm just very fortunate that I had work that I loved doing and that it allowed me to feel like um, I made some progress. You are so beautifully humble, but um, you owned your own business starting at the age of 21 uh, which made it what 1969, uh, which was quite unheard of. And that business grew into a, a tremendous magnitude and it's still going today, even though you don't, um, you know, you're not necessarily a part of that business anymore, but it's now been passed down to your son and, um, and you went back to school at age 50, I believe for 53. Four. I became a marriage and family therapist. Beautiful. And loved that. Um, the wonderful part, uh, there was a, a big motto, and I must have gotten it <coughs> from my father. Um, it's not really one that I think is an enlightened position. Right. It's kind of a whip. You know, yeah. by which to whip yourself. But I remember my father making a point of talking about someone who didn't have a job at present because he was waiting for the right job so that it really. Um, and I mean, to my father, this was the height of laziness, the height yeah. of you can still look for a job. But in the meantime, you have responsibilities, you know. Yeah. And it was the motto was do what you have to do. Right. And it is amazing how uh, if that is your motto and you've eternal, internalized it, oh, yeah. maybe even eternalized it. Yeah. Um, we'll you're going to check out next lifetime. We'll yeah, I'll let again. you know. Um, but that's kind of a weird motto. And I, you know, I mean, it's a scarcity motto. It's a fear based yes, motto. Yes. For sure. Do what you have to do. Certainly in his life, that was a really good motto. Yeah. Um, a kid of the Depression going to World War II in one of the worst theaters in, in the world, um, starting his own business when he came back out of nothing and literally creating a magnificent success from it. You don't do that without um, really seeing very little 
a value like you see hard work mm-hmm. and he would pass that on wow. but i but i remember in 1969 uh, graduating college getting a master's getting my teaching credential being ready to go and why anyone would remember this is absurd but for about a four-year period of time there were no teaching jobs in this country we were over encumbered with teachers and the bottom fell out of funding so um i was standing there Uh, with nothing and I had a brand new husband who was a student so I did what I had to do right and outside of the discipline of university work I had always been a dancer and even had a few little professional experiences as a dancer I don't um, think they're very little. Why don't you well, share a couple of those? Oh, I don't know. They're not that interesting. Because, I think it's important that people oh see you. Uh, I think well, visibility is okay. A big well, deal. it's not a big, but Doesn't you know, matter. in those days, music circus in Sacramento was what it is today. It still it's is. Still is. Yeah. And I actually had been in a college production of Kiss Me, Kate. Beautiful. And uh, the di- musical director happened to be the director of the music there for that show at. Uh, Music circus. Music circus. Yeah. And he liked working with me. So he just moved me into the show and that started out some other things. I got to do some fun television auditions, got a few spots here and there on shows that you have to be a hundred to remember. Like what? (laughs) And then also did this wonderful thing called teaching and really loved it to the point where I started my own school yes. in the garage of my house and then moved into a rented property, which raised the stakes tremendously. And then seven years later, started a professional ballet company that exists today as really one of the top five professional ballet companies in California that have existed over 30 years. Yeah. Um, so... Um, That company was born, and then I got an opportunity to take my dancers uh, into some international venues for their performance as representatives of our country, basically. So, where did you take us? um, When I was there, (laughs) yes, you were a star of the show. Uh, We performed uh, from Beijing down to Shanghai uh, in China. Uh, three consecutive times, getting to know some of the most fascinating people in a fascinating culture. We started in 1999, went into 2000. And in today's terms, this wouldn't be possible. China, uh, probably two years ago, uh, cut any email communication outside of one server in China. And those friendships through the arts are kind of over. But Took dancers to Spain, uh, first performing Americans in Cuba in the year 2000, since 1955, uh, and did a show there, Cafe Cantata and uh, Revolution Square. Um, Very proud of that representation and uh, learned a load. So it was a very wonderful little career, and um, I turned it over to my son and went back to school. Going on at that same time for 26 years, I did have a radio show um, on KCBX FM 90, uh, serving the coast of California. And it was an NPR station, so made a lot of friends and had a wonderful time as a radio host as well. And also had the opportunity of using my daughter, Alexa, as an announcer (laughs) now and then. And she went 14, nailed it. Oh, yeah. Um, So... 
A lot of good memories, mm-hmm. a lot of fun time, a lot of very active time. Yeah. Uh, it definitely was very different than had I used my credential to get that teaching job and be within yeah. a system with some boundaries. Well, it's kind of, I mean, what you're describing is <clears throat> similar to where we're at now in the sense of it's either sink or evolve. Right. And you very much evolved, right? You didn't have an opportunity to create what you had planned. And so it was an unprecedented time, much like now, and you transitioned it into something that ended up being the next, you know, 35 years of your life. And what a gift in a strange package. Did you, when you went into that, when you first started teaching, did you enjoy it or did it feel like, Oh God, I have to do this until I get my teaching job. What was kind of the mentality around that? That's a really good question. I think that it may be the only gift I got here with. Um, I just don't think, I don't see things negatively. If an opportunity is there, even if it isn't the ideal one, yeah, I'm all over it. And that's really almost weird and could almost be like, yes, and I'm Pollyanna and, you know, I live on go. Happy Street. But it really isn't even about happy. It, it always has been my go-to, okay, this is the opportunity. I've been given it. Well, that's very your dad's motto. It is. Do what you have to do. But really flip and do it. Right. You know, it's not like stand there and pretend you're doing it until something better comes along. Not possible. When you were a kid, what did you dream of doing? Being a dancer. Tell me a little bit about your ballroom career. I was so lucky. I, uh, so I funny. Hear, I used to say that all the time. I was so lucky. You're ne- you've never been lucky. I You're take after you. No, I take after you. Um, but it's not luck. It's that you really did the work. You're an amazingly gifted mover and shaker and well, teacher. Man, this is an ego trip of all time. I apologize if you're all, you know, doing that signal with the finger in the throat type thing oh, because because no. it really is coming out very Pollyanna. But I can't help it uh, on cool. those parts. It wasn't a picnic. I mean, I had a lot of really humiliating memories, a lot of failures, a lot of projects that didn't fly, you know. Sure. But overall, the real presence uh, that I feel is that this was great. Um, As a dancer, though, you enjoyed the process of uh, ballroom? You Oh, ballroom. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, not at all. Um, I had the good fortune. Central Valley of California in a little town called Modesto. There was a dance school there, Bill and Lenore Hughes, and these two magnificent people uh, went straight to the International Society of um, Dance Masters in Liverpool, England, and got this uh, knowledge of ballroom dance at the level of um, professional lines and requiring dance training. Yeah. Um, And by a miracle... I got to be a student there and did very well there, uh, traveled with them. And ballroom dance has always been about competitions. Yeah. But they are so respected as competitions and the rules are so specific. It, you know, it, it becomes a way to give this form a place to exist and show off. Right. You know, it doesn't go up on a theater stage in shows. So you Excuse either me. go dance in the evening or something is created to, you know, keep you really busy with this and show it off and keep evolving. And um, by a miracle, my partner, Mike Aiken, 
I don't know what would happen if you Googled him because, it, you know, he was way before Google. But Mike ended up on Broadway in, in a number of shows after after we were together as uh, um, ballroom couple. Oh, yeah. He was just one of these vastly male, talented people just with, you know, his body lined up the first time he stepped into a studio. Yeah. You know, he just couldn't help it. Yeah. He was totally gifted and musically beyond gifted. And he was also an intellectual mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the things he offered were amazing. I don't really, our early jokes, he never auditioned for anything he didn't get. And I think early on, that was really true. Yeah. He, he just stood out and by is the, Mike still living? Mike died of AIDS during that crisis where yeah. we lost so many artists. Yeah, and he will always stand out in my heart as, you know, what a loss that man had so much to offer. Yeah, but anyway, the joy of having a partner like that—he's really what got me there because I didn't work as hard as Mike. Nobody in the entire universe worked as hard as Mike did. But we ended up being able to go to uh, Blackpool, England, for the. Um, finals. Beautiful. And, um, it was a great experience. That's incredible. For a, for a really young person. Do you remember what style you danced in? Bunkle? Yes, American style. American mm-hmm. style. I didn't even know that was a thing. American yeah. ballroom. There's international. Oh, sure. There's Latin. Right. You know, and there's American style. There's international style. So okay. there are the big, you know, groupings of where you compete and then you compete within a certain style. Got it. Like, okay. um, was there a specific song? Do you have a memory of this oh, song? Oh, so many songs. Maybe one that we'd know. Oh, gosh. Well, this is just crazy. I, I can't love imagine. It. There was a hit song uh, that it was perfect for a swing. Which, yeah. Uh, you know, not international style swing, which is different, or Balboa swing, but American style swing. Yeah. And um, it was called Night. The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Love it. I would love to hear that song again. But it was, I think the reason why that particular piece of music means so much to me is that we were going to do an exhibition of that. And uh, Mike was so brilliant. And we worked together on this. And he really taught me to see so many nuances in the music. And me just saying, oh, is this it? This is it. I'm going to show you, but it's the perfect swing rhythm. Cute. I love it. It That's is very a great cute. song. If you ever want to just hear Bobby V. Best, but it shows you what time in space we yeah. were. And that was yeah. a new song. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a new release song. Yeah. That's amazing. So that shows you we were in the early 60s, not even mid yet. I love it. I so love we're, it. we're talking so far back yeah. that, you know, my... I call, I say my friends, but the people I still talk to out of those times, I wish Mike was one of them, but you know, uh, we all say the same thing. You know, we really don't like saying, oh, this happened and here's who and where. Yeah. Because everybody grabs their phone and Googles it. I know. And we're so damn early that it just, maybe something comes up, but it's rare. That's really cool. (laughs) And so we kind of all like to just say, yeah, had that experience. <laughs> Please don't Google me because I don't know what you'll find, but it won't be very accurate. Uh, I love it. Wow. You well, know, that's, that's, that's really amazing. 
I know. What's one of your favorite memories growing up before the age of 18? Oh, this is so much fun for me. God, how can I have this much fun? Mm. Oh, this is really the truth. The night I fell in love with my first boyfriend. Love it. How old were you? Uh, 14. Where were you? At the time I realized, oh my God, it was a lightning bolt moment uh, where it was like, wait a minute, hold your horses. There's something going on here. Yeah. This is way too interesting, appealing, stimulating. It just, it, this is way too much. Yeah. This might be what life is about. I remember stopping. Yeah. And, and literally pondering it. Oh my God, all those Shakespearean sonnets. Oh my God, all those love songs. Yeah. Oh my God, all that motivation. I used to hum along with these songs going, oh, nobody would feel like that. And then I went, oh, geez. Got it. Big secret just slapped me in the face. I remember that and I relive that all the time. That's so sweet. It is sweet. That's really, It was the best gift I got. Just not the best you know, there's later having children of and blah, blah, blah. Course, but but no, as far as one. just a feeling of, of absolute confirmation from the universe. Yeah. You know what? This is a good place and it's built on what I just showed you, girl. It's built on that feeling of love that you can access so specifically. Wow. And it's so powerful. Yeah. It's, um, it takes you into soul. It what do you think? You stay back. What do you think that was here to teach you? That type of love? Because you ended up marrying this person. Yes, I did. Um, and m- my contact with that person kept increasing that sense, even through some very, very difficult times. The takeaway was. It's a wonderful universe here, and I'm talking to you for a second. I'm really letting you in on this good stuff. Yeah. But you're also got to know you're going to have a lot of shit. Yeah. So you're going to raise this bar really high. However high you go, that's as low as you can go. So yeah. you're probably going to have some pretty passionate times feeling like a failure or seeing the dark side. Yeah. But I'm going to we'll tell make you. this part easy. But, but I'm going to let you yeah. get the full hit of, yeah. of the, this love thing on this personal level where you can feel it so much that it doesn't stay on the planet. It has to have somewhere else to go. And, um, what is one of your most embarrassing memories from before the age of 18? Oh my God. This makes me want to interview you. Every time you say something, I go, Oh, I wonder what hers is. (laughs) Mine probably changes a lot. I think it's when I was in Mrs. Litt's math class in seventh grade. I was the worst math student. I think it was attitudinal. I think somebody helped me learn that I was the worst. I couldn't have really been that stupid. And sure, gone to the restroom. You know, I mean, sure. But I really was poor and I had not done my homework. And I was so poor that that meant I might be getting the first, I don't know, probably D that I had probably ever gotten. Not that I was too goody two-shoes at that point, but Ds were not in the gig. And I was so panicked that we were supposed to correct our own homework as she was up speaking. And 
what I did was write it out while she was speaking. While she was speaking. So I ended up with a perfect paper with all the right answers. Oh, shit. And I had the paper right in front of me. And that's when she said, uh, had everybody, she'd call each person's name and you'd give the score that you got when you self-corrected. These were very democratic times. I was just going to say. Um, and when it got to mine and I gave the 100% score, which many people had, as it got all the way to the end, um, there we go. as it got all the way to the end of the kids, she said, Lori Lee, could you bring your paper up here? Oh, dear. And the reason was I was absolutely a horrible student. So for me to have 100% was totally out of the question. Why didn't I think it through and say, if you're going to cheat, make it logical? Well, that's okay. Yeah. So that's good. You're not a good cheater. Yeah. So I had to take the paper up. That sucks. And then she announced to the whole class that she saw me writing it out as the test happened, which of course she did. But I was, you know, in the dream, I could get away with this. Right, of course. Um, So that I was embarrassed down to my soul. I still can't believe a single seventh grader would talk to me after that. It's so blatant. Do you really think that? Yes. I had never seen anybody get busted on cheating like that. But you would stop talking to them if they had? I don't know. They'd be so weird. They should be run off campus. I mean, it was really bad. It was really humiliating. I think you have a very high dose of shame around things like that. (laughs) And that is very sweet, but... That does not make you a bad person. You just did a bad thing. I think that's definitely true, but it sure taught me. I think that was that I knowingly did not cheat again. There you go. And what I really learned was I'm so bad at it. I'll fuck myself over every time. Yeah, totally. And Um, you probably would have, because I don't think you have it in you to be that stealthy. I'm not that I think it's not that you're not stealthy. It's that you're not stealthy enough to cheat. No, you're right. That takes an intelligence. I don't have. I, and I think it is an intelligence. I don't. uh, Well, I mean, sure. I mean, I think anything is an intelligence, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I get confused when I see these like emails that are like so beautifully devised to get people to pay a bunch of money to a thing. And you know what I mean? Like a scam. And I'm like, man, all that energy put into a scam. Like I wish you had just invented something that was like productive and gave Mm -hmm. people something, you know, (laughs) but yes, I get it. I mean, it's a tough, it's a dog eat dog world out there, guys. It really is. And unless you have Hugo for a dog, then it's not. If you have Hugo for a dog, you're so happy. You don't care what happens. It's true. You know, um, it, it is a weird woman when you say under the age of 18 and I come up with one that was seventh grade. I mean, yeah, well, I think I, it makes just me such sound, an awkward time yeah, though. You're right. Like seventh grade is probably like the worst time of everyone's it life. It might be because I kind of could handle my teenage years. I didn't yeah, ever same. feel like totally out of my realm. Like, seventh grade was just that awkward transition between like babyhood and uh-huh teenager realness and kind of everything you did that you could independently do because those weren't a lot of things, but they were growing at all times. Sure. You would judge. You would say, Oh, I'm bad at that. Oh, and everybody else would judge you too. Yes. That's just awful. And you were finding out about yourself and it was just too easy to decide on things you couldn't do. Totally. Um, when actually you still could, that's why, Working with kids in the face of disappointment is such a 
lovely thing to know how to do if you're a parent. Yeah. So that they don't lose their footing. And just giving the kids permission to actually feel what they're feeling mm-hmm. rather than trying to shut it down. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how we do it. And I don't think that we're given a lot of tools on how to do that. I think that. And amazingly, sometimes the people with the most tools that have done the most work screw it up the most. Oh, completely. And the, the, the feature um, it makes sense. Oh, I because do. Because people sure. who are motivated like that, yeah. it's usually because they have triggers around it. Oh, of And course. they really want to avoid them. Of course. And yet, no matter how much work you do out of the moment, you get in that moment yeah. and there's reactivity. Of course. So it, there's real strange thing. I mean, I so many psychologists that I became exposed to when I did get my license and have that joy of going back to school. Um we're some of the most problematic people in the world. I mean, look, we teach what um, we need to learn. Like, the, like every, any good teacher, honestly, like they're still figuring it out. And the mm-hmm. thing you have to be scared of is when they go, Oh no, I've got to figure it out. Then you run away. Mm-hmm. Cause then they're all ego. Mm-hmm. Super yeah. scary. What do you think you're on this planet to learn in general? Like your life lessons. Mm. I, I think I came along for the purpose of um, learning boundaries, learning That's huge. that I can't do everything, learning to put my ego aside mm-hmm. and let the universe work Beautiful. and know things are exactly as they should be. You know, I... I really am a diehard on that one. And, and uh, it just, I came here to learn it and I see shades of <laughs> periods of time where the lessons came in. Um, but my vision is clear. My awareness is strong. It's um, beautiful. And so, uh, but man, a good example of how not to do it. I think that's the, you know, that's the thing about learning those lessons is it's not just like, oh, we get hit with it once and then we figure it out and like level up. Like mm-hmm. it's such a process of, um, you know, relearning and retrying and redoing it. You know, I was talking in yoga the other day and I think I was telling you about it. So we'll just repeat it for the sake of this lovely podcast. You know, in India, they have these beautiful um, pieces of fabric that you can buy. And they get these really, really rich colors. And the process is quite long. The process is quite drawn out. And literally, they have to take it, they dye it, and they lay it out in the sun. And it loses a lot of its pigment, so they have to do it again. And then they dry it, and then it loses a lot of its pigment. So they do it so many times they have to keep dyeing it they have to keep you know putting this cloth in this harsh dye and then putting it in the heat of the sun to really absorb the pigment that they want yes and that's really what it is for us as well is like okay we gotta like keep going back there we gotta keep learning that thing we gotta keep trying we gotta keep steeping ourselves in that lesson until it just is a part of our pigment until it is a part of our Makeup. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I love that metaphor. I love it. 
because that is what we're doing all the time. Um, you know, that, that reaffirmation, oh, but I'll do it better next time. You know, that's like the, that's like, okay, it's been out in the sun for a while. Let's dip it again. Yeah. Let's dip it again Um, and see if it's a little bit more understanding. There's that other, there's, um, another it's a piece of poetry and I'm blanking on who it, who it is, but it's, um, it's like a lesson in four acts or something. Girl walks down the street. There's a hole in the ground. She falls down, takes her hours to get out. She's traumatized. Girl walks down the street, sees the hole in the ground, still falls in, gets out a little quicker this time. Girl walks down the street, sees the hole, still falls in it, immediately gets out. Girl walks down the street, sees the hole, walks around it. Girl takes a different street. So, you know, it's just this process of, it's not Mm -hmm. just, we don't just take a different street right away. We have to keep falling in for a while. It's like when you have a toothache and you keep pushing on it, you're like, does it still hurt? Still hurts? Still hurts? Yep. Okay. Still there. What's your big learning right now? I've coped pretty well with my life. And I know that. Um, You know what? I'm not going to say pretty well. I've coped well. By cope, I mean whatever came along. Yeah. I didn't ever go to the covers over my head. Right. Um, I didn't ever go into addiction to avoid. Um, Sure loved wine for a period of time. You and me both. I even do now. Uh, Didn't, you know, just basically didn't avoid. I, I confronted things head on. Sometimes it took me way too long. Um, But my point is I've coped by not avoiding. And what I'm really hoping I can do is cope with my own death. I'm hoping that that sets me up because that's practice. (laughs) And um, I hope it sets me up. What do you think the hardest thing to cope with around your own mortality is? I believe it... The sticky part. Yeah. It's part of the lesson that I'm supposed to get by getting here. Uh, But seriously, I kind of marvel at this. I'm proud of you. I really have trouble thinking of my children being, minor word here, inconvenienced by my leaving. That they would have to step out of their life there would have to be action or inaction on my part that caused them to break their stride. And you have control over that how? I don't, right. but that's why it bothers me. That's what I, you know, if it, you asked what would be the hardest thing to cope with, right now I just have trouble with that. I, I would love to know <laughs> that, you know, some night I'll, go to sleep and just not wake up. And in the meantime, I haven't made anybody exhaust their resources or, you know, go nuts trying to care for me in my diminishment. So that's my, that's my biggest concern. I get that. And that's epically generous of you as usual. But when it comes to you, you looking at your own stuff with you, not around us. I am so positive. I, I'm very positive about very little. This I got. This uh, ride here. 
didn't have a beginning that was me coming onto the planet. This journey doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. Beautiful. It is part of a beautiful, energized, whirling, random, universal event that we're all in together as one that is not going to be done. It's here. That would not be significant enough. This is a soul. And so that's where I, I, I know this. Yeah. Um, and so somebody rightfully would say, well, where, who told you? <laughs> and I can't answer the question. I think you told you. Yeah. So I really don't have fear of that process. Right. And I can't be disappointed because I really understand the form I'm in. And um, that form uh, is very generous. It's a knowing that is shared and there's so much love uh, in this process. We only get a glint and we only act out of it, unfortunately, a few times. And there will be a time when we act out of nothing else. And we see nothing else but understanding. And we're in a state of conscious awareness and, and understanding of growth that we're all experiencing together. That's beautiful. I'm really not sure, but it's really where I'm not sure how beautiful it would be to someone else. And well, I think me, that's the definition. It's exactly what it is. So Perfect. it would be absurd to think I could not cope with the actual end. And maybe that's why I have that goal, because it is a goal, at least. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't have one. Um, otherwise, I'm just ready to take what comes. I would love to minimize suffering. Of course. I really hate suffering. Right there with you. <laughs> That's my earthly ego speaking. I really hate suffering. It's also your physical body <laughs> speaking. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I got you. Thank you. I got you. Thank you. Any last message you want to say before we sign off for episode one? Well, let me just say this one thing, please. I am. This is the first of many, if you don't mind. Oh, my God. Well, as long as it doesn't hurt your reputation. Ah, uh, LOL. This (laughs) this moment has been so kind to me to be able to just express in honesty. Yeah. Even to tell Mrs. Litt's story. Mrs. Litt. Yeah, I mean, this has been huge for me. I, I also <laughs> want you to know that Mrs. Litt always Lit. had one of her bra straps down on her Wow. She always wore short sleeves, and there was something kind of salacious about that. I, cool. I questioned Mrs. Litt in every way. Well, I think Mrs. Litt is probably pretty lit. Yeah, I, she, I mean, if she's doing that, if she's, go, she's, if she's giving that vibe off to seventh graders, she's doing something. And I'm not mad about the salaciousness, but that is, you know, that's fun. Yeah. That's a fun so, I visual. Mean, you got to bring things was up. Was she cute? Not really. No. That, that was the unfortunate part. Oh. Of course, I always notice salacious acts by people who aren't cute. The cute people don't have to devise them. Oh, judgy, judgy. Judgy, judgy, judgy. It's okay. I'm judgy too. We're all judgy. And I, I mean it. I know it. I'm glad. You got it. You know, my father always used to say the most important thing a person can have. Guess what he would say? And this is a beautiful memory. This has not come up. The most the beautiful thing a person most has? important thing a person can have as a skill. 
I would say, efficacy from him. You would think, and it probably is part of this, he would use that term, good judgment. He loved that term, good judgment, Mm. making the right decisions. Decisions. Mm. So then you had to question what was right. Right. That's got many shades, but good judgment. And so when that movement is real, that, you know, facing adversity, for instance, with anger, blame, judgment, and judgment, is a very bad mistake. Facing adversity with compassion and kindness always will work better. There you go. But here was that judgment word, good judgment. So I guess that means you judge something and make the right choice. But of course, compassionate judgment as a way to deal with crime is beautiful. It has judgment in it because um, with bring forth all the facts and bring them with compassion only. That doesn't mean making excuses to people, but truly letting the most loving part of us look at it all and then creating a judgment out of compassionate thought. That's that's how I wish the courts worked. They might. I don't know. I have the privilege of having not been called in too often. There you go. We'd have to ask my sister. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. Roz would tear me to shreds with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you have to just answer the following questions, and I'm just going to make them up. I have not, I'm not going off a sheet, guys. I just am going off. Fill in the blank. Love is... My children. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Today I'm most grateful for? Taking breath. My greatest teacher is? My ex-husband. What I love the most about myself is? My persistence. My uh, not willing to see anything but opportunity. Nevertheless, she persisted. Thank you so much, Mom, for being on. I love you with all my heart. This was so much fun. I love you. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for carving out the time to listen to this wisdom, to listen to uh, all this goodness. Um, once again, gentle reminder to please check out savagelosangeles.com to learn more about my new company that I'm so proud of. I hope it inspires you to create and cultivate a life that you dig. Um, and also if you are down and have, you know, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds, then please, please give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. Super easy. Just give it five stars, maybe say a few kind words. And if you dug it, please share it with your friends. I would be over the moon with gratitude. Um, All right. You guys are the bee's knees. Much love. Stay savage. Savage.